Welcome to the Fielder Church Podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us, and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. There's this thought that hits me again and again, this idea of gratefulness. The moment he called our name and, and brought us to salvation, we were dead and he called us. I don't know if you've seen that show, The Chosen, the Chosen One. It's just an incredible show. But very first episode, you see this moment. He gets to Mary Magdalene, this woman who's been, been tormented by demons. And there's that ending point when Jesus grabs her and he calls her name and he saves her. Every one of us who's a believer in Jesus has had that moment when we were overwhelmed with sin, we were tormented, and he whispered our name, and he called us. Man, we have all the reason in the world to praise God and to thank him. We just need to remember what he's done. Let me tell you this. You want to fight the lies of the enemy? Remember what Christ has done in your heart. You want to keep the faith? Remember what God has done to redeem you and to save you. Be grateful. You have every reason in the world to be grateful. That's how we fight the enemy. At least that's where it starts. But it doesn't stop there. When you're grateful for what God has done for you, then you say, God, I want to live the rest of my life for you. I want to spend myself to serve you, to do everything I can to give myself to you. And that's actually what Paul tells us next. If you've been redeemed, let me tell you what you do. You live out that redemption and you serve God with blood, sweat, and tears. That's what he says in verses six through 10. Let's keep on reading. Listen to what he says. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith into the good doctrine that you followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So here's what Paul says. He says, man, absolutely be thankful for God. But then once you have gratitude, work your tail off to grow in godliness. He says, don't listen to those, those irreverent, silly myths, that false doctrine that's spreading. He says in verse seven, don't have anything to do with them. Rather train yourself for godliness. That word train yourself, interesting in Greek, it's gymnazo. It's where the word gymnasium comes from. He's saying, you gotta, you gotta go to the spiritual gym and flex your spiritual muscles. You're gonna have to train and it's gonna require effort. He's saying, if you want to have godliness, you're going to have to work for it. Now, I know the moment I say you got to work for godliness, there's some of you right now going, whoa, whoa, slow down, Jason. Wait, wait, wait. You teach me every week that we're made holy by what Christ did, not by what we did. Now you're telling me that I have to work in order to be holy. That doesn't sound right with the gospel. If you're feeling some pause in your spirit, first of all, I want to give you a virtual high five. Thank you for being so sensitive to the gospel of Jesus. And yes and amen, 100%, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Your holiness comes from God, but that's, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about working for holiness. He's talking about working for godliness. Those are two very different things. 
Holiness only comes through what Christ has done for us. The only way we unholy people can be made holy is when we throw our sins upon Christ and when we let his blood wash us clean by faith, we are made holy. Holiness comes from faith in Christ Jesus. But godliness is something we work for because we've been made holy. Godliness by definition means to behave and act in a way that fits the very character of God, to be godly. That's just something that we do, we work for, we strive toward godliness. Because we've been made holy, we now have the capacity to be godly. But we work for it, we train, we strive for it. That's actually what he says in verse 10. He brings these two together. Look back at verse 10. He says, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. You see these two things merging together. He says, we toil and strive. We work our tails off. We press into this. We train for this. Why? Because we have our hope set not in our godliness, but in our Christ who saved us. Because we have been saved, we work hard so that we can be godly with the salvation we've been given. Now, I need to do a little timeout right here because there's one part of this that can be confusing that you might miss. He says, we set our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And and what it sounds like, let me tell you, it sounds like he's saying Jesus saves everybody, but especially those believers over there. But that's not what Paul's saying. It can't be what Paul's saying because that doesn't agree with other places when Paul says the wrath of God is coming upon the unjust and the ungodly. It doesn't agree with the scriptures that talk about the fact that unbelievers will not have a place in salvation. That's not what Paul's saying here. You have to understand how he's using the word all when he says all people. He's saying that Jesus is the savior of everyone who will be saved. He is the savior of humanity. And when it says, especially of those who believe, in the Greek, that word also means specifically those who believe. So another way to translate this would be, Jesus is the savior of humanity, specifically those who believe. Now let me tell you what that means. That means that only those who believe in Christ Jesus will be saved. Which leads to a very important question I have for you. Have you come to faith in Christ Jesus? Have you, become, have you come to believe he is the Messiah and the Savior? And have you put yourself under his rule? Because nothing else will save you. Listen, the, the, the enemy wants to confuse you in this one. And he's doing a great job. He confuses you by trying to make you think that if you just change your ways... If you just try a little harder to be good, if you do some good deeds, if you give some money away, if you try to punish yourself for the wrong that you've done, if you do enough of that, then you'll be saved. But that falls back in with a false teaching about asceticism. As long as I punish myself enough, then God will accept me. That's not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is we can never do enough to earn our salvation. Christ has to do it for us. The only way we're saved is when we believe in him. Satan wants to confuse you, but the gospel is not confusing. The gospel is a simple message that you and I have sinned against God. We've turned our backs on him, chosen to serve ourselves instead of the God who breathed life into us. And there's nothing we can do to redeem ourselves. We're sunk, but God loved us so much. He sent his son to absorb his wrath by taking our sin upon his shoulders. He let him bleed and die so that his blood could wash away our sin. And when we place our faith in him, that Jesus is enough, then we're made holy. We are set free because we set our hope on Christ, not in ourselves. And I wonder, have you come to that place yet in your life where you said, Jesus, you're enough. You're the only way I can be saved. Because if you haven't, nothing's gonna change. You can set your hope in your actions. You can set your hope in your friends. You can set your hope in a pastor and none of that's gonna be good enough. Or you can set your hope in Christ and that's where salvation comes from. I believe there are some of you watching this right now 
And he's calling you. He's saying, put your hope in me. Realize I can save you. And it requires you to take a step of faith to declare your faith in Jesus Christ. And here's where we want to partner with you. Listen, we're about to sing a couple more songs, but I believe there might be some of you watching and you need to declare your faith in Christ Jesus. Say, I'm ready, Jesus. I believe in you. I'm ready to place my faith in you. Now, we can't be together in person, so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If that's you and you're ready to place your faith in Christ, I want you to pull out your phone and I want you to text the word next step to 94253. That's just one word, next step, like you see it right here on your screen. Take a few moments. There's a form to fill out. It won't take you long at all, I promise. Let us know there's a part where you mark, I would like to place my faith in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're watching this on your phone. Go to your computer, go to filler.org slash next step. Same form, really quickly, and a pastor today will reach out to you, either by email or by phone, and connect with you and help you take this important step of faith to find hope in Christ Jesus. Nothing is gonna change in your life till you take this step. So while the rest of the people are singing, you take the step right now. If you have to stop it, pause it, rewind it to see that number again, whatever you gotta do, take the time. Let us know that you're ready to place your faith in Christ. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've already placed your faith in Christ, taken that step of faith, then we have even more reason to praise God because we've been given a living hope, a living hope that is inside of us. And so we're gonna sing about that living hope. We're gonna worship God. And we're gonna remember the good gift that's been given to us. Let's continue to worship. Man, I I wish you could experience the praise going on in this room. I I wish you could feel the room in here. I'm I'm looking back and I see Hefty over there running the switch and he's just jamming out while he's switching videos. And there's a group of people right here who are getting ready to do the next worship. They're just praising the Lord. I'm back over here. got you guys, man. It's just so incredible to get to praise the Lord for what he's done in our lives. Listen, if you're watching this, Jesus has redeemed you. He has saved you. He loves you. There is nothing he can't do in your life. Praise God, man. I don't know about you, but I don't even know what I'm preaching about anymore. I was so stinking excited <laughs> for what God has done. Listen, God has redeemed us for a purpose. He has a reason that he's put you on this planet. He pursued you with a fierceness because he wants to use you. He didn't save you so you just coast through life, you know, making it through, just trying to survive. He saved you so he could use you for his glory. But that's going to require that you and I step up into the calling that we've been given. He said it last, that last passage, train yourselves for godless work at this thing. I've given you something to do. Walk into that purpose. Maybe the most important thing you need right now is just to know how to train for godliness. Maybe you need a trainer. I don't know if you've ever been to a gym before for the first time. When you go to a gym, like sometimes it's really scary. It's very intimidating to go to a, a gym and you got all these equipment around. Everybody else seems to know what they're doing. You don't have a clue what's going on and you kind of shrivel up. You need a trainer to show you how to train. Well, it's the same thing in godliness. If you want to train for godliness, like the Apostle Paul talked about, you need a trainer. And Paul is actually going to be your trainer in verses 11 through 16. Let's, let's keep on reading. We're going to finish up the passage. Listen to what it says. Paul says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. 
for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So there's some gold right here that Paul gave us, but we have to sift through it a little bit to understand what he's saying. There's really a couple of things he's saying. You've got to learn how to train yourself for godliness. First one came in verse 11. He said, command and teach these things. Now, you don't really know what the these things is unless you look back to the paragraph before. It was actually verse 6 where he told us what the these things are. He was talking about being trained in the words of the faith and of good, the good doctrine that you have followed. The these things he's referring to is the words of the faith and the good doctrine. Specifically, he's saying if you're going to train yourself for godliness, you got to start with this book right here, the Word of God. We have to train ourselves. He's saying, Timothy, if you want to train yourself for godliness, it begins by training yourself in God's Word. This is no different for us. If you and I want to train for godliness, it's going to begin with a Bible open as we read it over and over and over again. We got to know this Word. We got to train ourselves in the Word of God the way an athlete does their sport. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around a professional athlete, but man, they are after their sport all the time. A professional, a professional basketball player, I promise you, is going to shoot hoops every single day of their life. They're working on their free throw. They're working on a three-pointer. They're working on dribbling, the layup. They want to make sure they have it. They work on their craft every single day. If you've got a professional golfer, he's at the golf course every single day. He's at the driving range working on his shot. He's putting. He's chipping. He's working on his game every day because that's what an athlete does to train. You have a gymnast, they are at the gym every single day working on their routine, their floor, the bars, every bit of it because they want to perfect it because they're training. Well, it's no different when you're training for godliness. We have to be at it. We can't be sporadic. We have to be in the word of God every single day. That's how we train for godliness. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not going to do an online survey because I don't think I really want to know the answer to this. But I wonder how many of you read your Bible every single day? I wonder how many of you have ever read what you would probably declare the most important book in the world. I wonder how many of you have actually read it from cover to cover. Those of you who have read it, I wonder when the last time you've done it. Was this something you did 20 years ago and said, I did it, mission accomplished? Or do you read it over and over and over again? Because listen, if we're going to train in godliness, you and I desperately need the word of God. We need to be in it again and again and again. And I'm going to shoot straight with you guys. I have a degree from a seminary. I'm a pastor. So much of my time is spent hours every week studying the word of God. And even with all that, I still need to read God's word every single day. I can't give up training for godliness by studying the word of God. And I'm figuring if I, if I can't give it up, you can't either. We need this. Now, I want to share my practice with you. I'm not asking you to imitate this, but this is one of the ways that I try to train in godliness. I read the entire Bible through at least every other year. I've done this. I don't even know how many times I've read the whole Bible through. It, what's interesting is that this very morning, I didn't plan this, this very morning, I read the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. I finished the Bible this morning. Revelation 22, finished it all up. And let me tell you what's so cool is that I've read this book so many times and I still discovered amazing truth through the reading of God's word. I cannot seem to plunge the depth of God's word. Now, I started in January, read it through in five months. It's a pretty quick reading. I'm getting kind of a high-level view, but that's not enough. So you know what else I do every morning? I take three to five verses, and I just dig in on those verses. I go book by book, studying the syntax of the verses, studying what was being said by the author, trying to really digest the truth in there because there's so much to be had. I'm training myself for godliness by going back to the word of faith. This is what you and I must do if we want to train, if we want to be ready, live to the purpose that God has given us. We've got to know the word of God. That's the first thing. 
But let me also say it's incredibly dangerous to know the word of God if we're not going to obey it. So the second thing that Paul tells Timothy is you can't just be a hearer of the word. You're going to have to be a doer of the word. That's what he was getting at in verse 12. Look at verse 12 again. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, when he talks about letting no one despise him for his youth, we don't know exactly what was going on, but most scholars believe that Timothy was a young man and he was sent to Ephesus to call out the false teachers who were likely quite a bit older. And in ancient times, age meant authority. Therefore, Timothy likely didn't have very much authority because he wasn't very old. And so he was timid in going to these much more learned, aged men. And Paul says, Timothy, your authority does not come from your age. Don't let anybody look down on you because of your age. Your authority comes from how you live when you walk the walk and don't just talk the talk. That's why he says, set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. You can rise up and you can be a model for people in how you live. So let me tell you what this means for you. If you're a young person watching this, a young adult or a teenager, and you're watching this service, let me tell you what this means for you. You don't need to be older. You don't need to have more education. You don't need to learn more about the Bible. You just need to start obeying what you already know. You can set an example right now. And let me tell you, people might be able to argue with your age. They might be able to argue with your lack of a degree. They might be able to argue with your lack of experience. But let me tell you what they can't argue with. They can't argue with a life well lived. When you walk the walk, when you put an example in front of people in speech and conduct, love, faith, and purity, you are going to step up into a place of leadership. People are going to want to follow you because you're setting an example. And when Paul gave this message to Timothy, he wasn't just giving it to Timothy. He was giving it to every single one of us who's a believer. He's saying, you set an example. Live the kind of life that people want to imitate. That's why he says in verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself. Because here's what Paul knew. When people live godly in the middle of a godless world, it stands out. It's a beautiful thing. He's saying, set an example. Be someone people look up to. He's saying, someone should look at you and say, I want to be like you when I grow up one day. Because you're living such a good life, setting an example for how you live. And one of the best ways you can set an example, one of the best ways you can call the attention of the world in a good way for people would want to be like you is when you decide that you're going to take the gifting that God has given you and you're going to be the very best at that gifting you possibly can. That's actually what he was saying to Timothy in verses 13 through 15. He's saying, you've been given a gift, do it well. Look at those verses again. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. He's reminding Timothy, Timothy, you've been given a gift by the Holy Spirit and it's a gift of preaching and teaching. Use that gift. That's why he says, read scripture, exhort, teach. Utilize your gift because when you exercise your gifting, people will see all that God is doing in you. They'll see your progress and they'll be drawn to you and they'll want to know why you do what you do and you'll have an opportunity to share the gospel. Just be really good at what God has gifted you at. Now, here's what's interesting. I think so many of us waste a lot of our time trying to be good at things we're not good at. We try to get better at the things that we're not good at and we think that's the best way. And listen, yeah, there's, there's room for us to make sure that we don't have debilitate, debilitating characteristics. But the most important thing you could do is not focus all your energy in trying to overcome your, your debilities, your, your, your problems. Your, the most important thing you could do would try to, is try to live out the gifting God has given you. Be the very best at what you're already good at. You've been giving a gifting, 
And he's saying, use that gifting. For Timothy, it was preaching and teaching. Use that gifting. Now, I resonate with that because that happens to be my area of gifting, preaching and teaching. So I work really hard at this craft. You might not know this. All you hear me is just preach for a few minutes on a Sunday morning, but I spend hours every week digging into God's word. I I manuscript my entire message so that I can think about every phrase, every word, because I'm trying to hone in the craft and the gifting God has given me. I, I wrestle with biblical doctrine to make sure I'm giving you critical thought and truth because this is my gifting and I'm trying to be the very best at it I possibly can, believing that people will be drawn to it. That's my gifting. But that may not be your gifting. And just, just because that's not your gifting doesn't mean God isn't calling you to step into that gifting. He's saying, know the gifting you've been given and be the very best at it. To which I know some of you going, Jason, listen, man, I'm just an ordinary follower of Jesus. I, I don't have any kind of gifting. I mean, you people, hey, you guys back there, these dudes have gifting, you know, and it, but I'm not me. I, how am I going to give anything? Well, let me make sure this is really clear to you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You also have a manifestation of the Spirit, which is a spiritual gift. Every believer has been given at least one spiritual gift. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? To which some of you go, well, how do I know? Well, read it. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11, it lists them out. Or if, if that's not enough, go to Romans chapter 12, there's another list. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, there's another list. All these places that give us ideas, hospitality, teaching, service, administration, generosity, leadership, to name just a few. Do you know what your gifting is? you got to discover it. And then once you know what your gifting is, Paul is telling us we need to work our tails off to be the very best we can be in that gifting. We need to train ourselves, strive to be the best we can because that's when God gets glory. He actually hinted at that back in verse 16. He says, persist in this for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Exercise your gifting because when you are excellent at what you've been gifted to, people will be drawn to you and you'll have a chance to share the gospel and people will come to salvation. Listen, if you need a motivation, know this, that gift wasn't given to you so that you could use it for your own glory. It wasn't for your sake. It was for the sake of the extension of the gospel. Use that gifting so more and more people can come to faith in Christ Jesus. But if that's not reason enough for you, let me tell you another reason why you should be willing to work your tail off to be the very best of the gifting God has given you. Because he paid the highest price to give it to you. The reason you have that gifting inside of you is because Jesus Christ gave up his body and his blood so that you could have the spirit in you. That gift inside of you cost Jesus everything. And if he was willing to pay that kind of price for us to have this gift, shouldn't we be willing to do whatever it takes to use this to the glory of King Jesus? So maybe the greatest motivation I could give you today in being able to to work hard, to train yourself in godliness, to believe the word and live out the gifting that you've been given is simply to take the Lord's Supper to look at the bread and the cup and remember the body and the blood of Jesus. So we're going to sing one last song. And we're going to sing the song, Jesus Paid It All. We're going to think about the price that was paid. And in a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Pastor Jim is going to come up and he's going to lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper. And we're going to look at in the bread, the body of Jesus crucified so that our sins could be placed on him. We're going to take a cup, the fruit of the vine, and we're going to look at what resembles blood. Remember, the blood of Jesus washed us clean of every single sin so that the Spirit could come inside of us so that we could be given this gift. And we're going to celebrate, because of the price that was paid, the reason why we get to serve our God. And we're going to let it spur us on. 
So right now, one of you can go get the Lord's Supper supplies so that all of those who are believers in your family can take the Lord's Supper. And we're gonna praise God and we're gonna prepare our hearts. And then after we've sung this song, Jesus paid it all, after we've celebrated the price, then Pastor Jim will lead us in taking the Lord's Supper. Let's prepare our hearts.